This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good to see you here. Hope you had a blessed day. Wow. wonder what happened today. Some of you got the call that we're having church tonight. The rest of them didn't. Well, I pray blessings on you. I'm glad to see you here. Just hope you've had a great, great day, great week. You know, I was in a meetings today talking about some things on retirement and 401ks, and the word came out that you can't touch any of that until you're 59 and a half. And my wife just conveniently elbowed me, and she said, that would be you. <laughs> and it was kind of a wake-up call. I kind of looked at her, and I said, that's, that's not really funny. But that is true. I'm past 59 and a half now, so... Life is good, it, it is fast, I tell you. You know, the, the older you get, the faster you realize that. So enjoy the journey, okay? Even you ones who've got little ones right now and you think, will they ever grow up? They will. They will. And so bless you, all right? That has nothing to do with it. And I don't know why I'm telling you that, but bless you. you got your Bible, go with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, this opportunity to, to give you the Blessing of giving, and I say that wholeheartedly, that man, when you learn to, to honor God with your giving, ooh, I, I could stand up here and tell you testimony after testimony in my life, and I base that off of we've honored God with our tithes and our offerings, and if, uh, not Ephesians, Malachi 3.10, he said, if you'll honor me with your tithes, I'll open for you the window of heaven and pour out blessing upon you. Blessing, And so when I, I, I read those things, that's more than just finances. I've, I've stood on those areas as a tither on jobs, on homes. I, I believe part of the tithe is even blessing with health. That's a blessing. You know, and so again, man, these are some of the benefits that God wants to bless you with. Second Kings chapter 4, and as you're there, you know, sometimes our, our financial difficulties we get into... They can be a result of a bad choice. Have any of you ever made a bad choice with finances? Yeah, I have. And sometimes we have financial difficulties that are situations we didn't create. They just seem to happen. But I can tell you, in either one of those categories, God is hes a master of disaster. God will rise up. So here we go. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. Now, many believe that this woman's husband was the prophet Obadiah, and Obadiah is dead, and so she's telling him, My husband's dead. The end of verse 3. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So evidently she owed something or her husband owed something that she did not have the means to pay. So he, she says that the, the creditors are coming for my two sons. Now that wouldn't be a pleasant thought. That would not be a pleasant day for that to take place. Verse 2. So Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Question mark. Tell me, what do you have in the house? What do you got in the house? Now, why would he ask her that question? What do you have in the house? 
Because a lot of times the very things I have in my house is seed. And sometimes I've got to get that seed in the ground. So what do you got in the house? What do you got in your hand? Goes on to say. And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. So what you got in the house? I got a jar of oil. That's it. And if you highlight something there, she said, a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors' empty vessels, and do not gather just a few. Now, this was uh, the, the provision that would be in proportion to the woman's faith. Now, he said, go gather vessels. And if you look at it, the word vessels was plural. Go, go, go gather vessels. Now, in my mind, I would be thinking, why would I do that? Why, why would I do that? Because the prophet knew if she would step out in faith and obey, God would provide. Verse number four. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you, you and your sons. Then you would pour it into all those vessels and aside the full ones. Now, again, in the natural, this makes zero sense. And I can tell you there's times in my life when I've honored God with my tithe and stuff, and it made zero sense. I was like, now, wait a minute, Lord. You tell me that if I'll give you the first fruits of my increase, if I'll give you my tithe, that you'll bless it and you'll give me everything I need. And when I was in my early 20s, man, when I would think about doing this, my head would go squirrely crazy. I had more month than money. How many of you have ever had more month than money? That's not a pleasant situation. And over and over, this man would tell you, whatever you do, you've got to learn to tithe and get that tithe in there. And it would twist me. I'd think, Lord, there's no way I can do this. But here's the thing. Even with, with this woman here, When I've done it my way, man, I was broke, busted, disgusted, never to be trusted. And so me and Shelly began to study these scriptures at an early age, and we would read them when we would look at each other, and finally we said, you know what we got to do? We got to get out of the boat and learn on to walk on the water, even with our giving. We got to get our faith out there, and it's going to take great faith. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. The first few times we obeyed God and did this, oh my gosh, I felt like going into the closet and covering up and crying. I was like, I don't get this, Lord, I don't get this. But we stayed with it, and we stayed with it, and we stayed with it. Oh, God is a God who blesses. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. You know what that tells me? Even if it didn't make sense, she still obeyed. She stepped out and said, I'm going to obey. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. So the oil ceased when she ran out of vessels. Now, this is the way I read into this right here. I believe as long as she would have had vessels, she could have kept pouring. She could have kept pouring. But it says, it ceased when there no more vessels. Verse 7. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, 
Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons will live on the rest. Now, if this happens to me, you know what I say? Our God is a financial working miracle God. God God will take care of me even when the creditors are knocking on my door. Even when the creditors are calling. You, You see who's calling on your phone and say, I'm not answering that. I know what they want. Well, God will move in. God's a God of miracles. And I said, he is a master of disaster when we begin to obey him and obey his word. Okay, you too. Come up here that said, oh man, I'm going to talk to you. No, I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for your word. The, the God of provision, the God whose covenant name is Jehovah Jireh, the provider. And we thank you, Father God, for providing. And Lord, right now, I pray blessings on everyone under my voice. I ask that you stretch our faith here. Stretch our faith. All for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I I could talk about this all night. This is how blessed you become when you honor and obey God. But we'll go on. Turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We'll give you a little bit of nuggets of faith tonight that I believe will really help you. As we begin in Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul, he wrote in Ephesians 2, 8, For grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So what you see there with the word grace, grace is a gift of God. So when he says you've been saved by grace through faith, that means you cannot earn salvation. It's not going to happen. Salvation is a gift. And so many times people will say this, well, you know what? I'm going to start coming to the Lord when I get myself together. I'm going to come to the Lord when I quit getting drunk all the time. I'm going to come to the Lord when I quit cussing. Well, you know what's going to happen? You're going to continue to get drunk and you're going to continue to cuss, okay? Because you're out of alignment. If we could do that in our own ability, we would have never needed Jesus. And so God said, they can't do it on their own, so I'm going to grace them. So we get saved by grace through faith. We believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, what I'm going to talk about here tonight, we'll be in Galatians 3, and then we're going to go to the book of James chapter 2. And in these passages, it's almost like Paul and James, they contradict each other. But oh, watch how the scripture will come true tonight and it'll help you, I believe. Galatians 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, oh, you who act so foolishly, who has bewitched you? Who has cast the spell on you that you should not obey the truth? Now, I'm I'm reading in the New King James Version is what I'm reading in. Who should bewitch you that you should not obey the truth? Why are you so foolish? Or where have you gotten off track that you think, I don't have to obey the truth? The end of verse 2. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. So to, to the degree here, I believe he's saying... Don't try to dilute the glorious work of what Jesus did on the cross by trying to earn salvation or earn works. And so these Galatians right here, 
They, they are without excuse because Paul made it clear to them, it's all by what Jesus did on the cross. I receive what you did on the cross. You took my sins and you died for me. Verse 2. This I only want to learn from you. This one thing I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing faith? Are you rewarded because you kept the commands or are you rewarded because you stepped out by faith and believed? Now this is what he asked me. He said, this one thing I want to learn from you. Verse 3, are you so foolish or silly or senseless, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Are you now being dependent upon your flesh? I hope not. Because if my life is dependent on my flesh, it's not good. It's not good at all. Same chapter, verse 6. Just as Abraham, he believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. So the substance of his believing, his faith, it released God's righteousness. And so when we talk about Abraham here, Paul shows that Abraham pleased God by faith and not by doing works of the law. He said, I'm going to step out and I'm going to believe God and I'm going to trust God. Verse 7. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Know that only, now mark that, you may mark that, that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. So only those are the heirs of the promise that are those who live by the principle of faith. Well, if we broke faith down, remember, you know what faith is? It's to believe with the heart and to speak with the mouth, but it comes from hearing the word of God. And so I learned to live by faith. This is what he's talking about. He would declare him righteous because of his faith. Verse 9, or verse 8. And the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles, that's me and you, by faith, he preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. He would preach the gospel before Abraham, saying, in all the nations you shall be blessed. Now look at this in verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with the believing Abraham. Those who are of faith... So you begin to see something here with Paul over and over that he says, man, you got to get in faith. you got to trust just like Abraham did. And if we go back and we talk about Abraham, remember the Lord said to him, he said, hey, this is Genesis 12. We were here on Sunday morning, verse 1. He says, you got to get away from your, your family. you got to move from the country, from your father's house. And so Abraham had to obey him, but that meant he had to step out by faith, even though it wasn't easy. Now turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, and this is where you're going to see it's almost like they contradict themselves between Paul and James here. Now if you're a student of the Word of God, you love the Word of God, James is Jesus' brother. This is who this is. And so it's interesting to me to always see the, the, the author of certain chapters or books of the Bible. And so this is who James is. So James chapter 2, verse 18. 
But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And I will show you my faith by my works. Now, when he says this, when he talks about his works, he's talking about our good deeds or our our behaviors. And so basically what he goes on to say here, how can you show me your faith without good deeds, without works? And so the, the, the works, it confirms that the faith within me is alive and active within us. So faith that doesn't have works or faith apart from obedience or works is really not faith is what this says. And so every time I'd read that, I'd think, now wait a minute. That almost contradicts what, what the apostle Paul said. Verse 19. You believe that there is one God? Yes, I do. You do well. But even the demons believe and tremble. So you say you have faith for, for one God? You believe that you're one God? there's one God? That's good. That's good for you. That's what he's saying. That's great. But he said, even the demons believe and tremble. And so the difference between the demons and me and you is one, they don't obey. And two, they are unchanged. And so one of the proofs of a born-again Christian is that you're changed. There's a difference in you. When the Bible says there in 2 Corinthians 5 that any man who's in Christ, he's a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. So there's a change within me. The demons never change. They believe there's a God. They know there's a God. They just don't obey him. Now let me ask you something. Since you got born again, is there a change in your life, your behaviors, your actions? And you you go to family events, family reunions, and people look at you and say, what happened to you? What's the difference in you? There there should be some notable uh, actions within me. Now, I I remember, you know, when I went to my 20-year class reunion, my 30-year class reunion, they just keep adding up. And I I remember at the 20-year when I was sitting at this table, and and this girl that I'd known growing up all the month, they came and sat down, and then this other girl came and said, she sat down right by me, and she looked at me, and she said, I was hoping that I could sit by you tonight. And I said, why? And she said, you got to tell me what happened to you. And I got tickled and I said, I got born again. I asked Jesus to come into my heart and I said, this is what takes place right here. I'm I'm a new creation. And she started laughing and she said, I'm going to tell you something. She said, it shocks me what you do for a living. And I said, it kind of shocks me too. (laughs) What happened? There was a change. Something took place. Again, Sometimes you have huge change where it's just a huge leap. Other times it's just little baby steps. But even if it's baby steps, I'm a lot farther along now than I used to be. You know, I've had people tell me, I said, Pastor, I I, I don't cuss like I used to. I used to use the Lord's name in vain. I don't do that at all anymore. I said, see, God's working in you. You're a new creation. 
You're a new creation. I'm going to tell you this story. This is true. This is a great one. I'm standing down here one Sunday, right here, after a Sunday morning service. And this guy who'd gotten born again in our church, and I mean, he, he had come hard out of the world. Hard out of the world. But man, he was, he was growing, and he, he had his Bible in his hand, and he came walking by me. And there was an usher standing by me, and he looked at me, and he tapped his chest just like this. And he went, Pastor, that was some good SH. I'm not going to say it because I'm not a cusser, but he said that was some good stuff. And when he said it, you know what I realized? That may be one of the greatest compliments I've ever had. I knew it was sincere and I knew it was real. And so he left and the usher looked at me and goes, have you ever had a compliment like that? I said, that, that was one that will never leave me. You know what? I saw a change in his life. I saw changes in him. Verse number 20. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without corresponding actions is useless. So when I look at what he's talking about there, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to just talk my way to heaven. I'm going to walk my way to heaven. Now listen to me clearly. When he says here, faith without works is dead, it's useless, you can't get salvation by works, okay? There's no way that can happen. That's not what he's talking about. But once I get born again, Man, there should be some changes within me. Something on the inside is working on the outside, and there becomes a change. That I become a person of prayer. That, man, I raise my hands to Jesus. You know, when you first get born again, and people tell you, you ought, to, you ought to go out and eat and pray over your food. I remember the first time I ever prayed in a restaurant, I did what we call the pirate prayer. I had one eye open. I was looking around to see who was checking us out. Shoot, not no more, man. I'll go in there and it bother me a bit. I'll grab hands and pray. I said, why? Because I'm a new creation. Things are different. Keep reading. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Wow. When he offered Isaac his son on the altar. Now that was last week. And so when God told Abraham to offer him on the altar, Abraham didn't say, well, I'm going to believe God. I'm just going to believe God. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to believe God. No, Abraham actually did something, and he did what God told him to do. So this is what this is talking about. Verse 22, do you see that faith was working together with his works? That faith was cooperating with his works. And by works, faith was made perfect or complete. Faith and his actions were yoked partners. Faith and actions literally complete their faith. So faith is expressed in our works. This is what he's telling. Man, I believe God, so I'm going to step out. So listen, I could sit here and I could tell you, you know what? I believe in tithing. I believe in tithing. But if I never actually step out and obey that and do that, then do I really believe in that? Verse 23. And scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham, he believed God, 
And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. He is shown to be right with God, not by faith alone, but by works. Keep reading. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot to be justified by works or her actions when she received the messengers and she sent them out another way? Verse 26. Now this is a good one to write right here. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So again, I I looked and I thought, he contradicts Paul. But I don't believe he contradicted Paul. I believe he completed or he was consistent because Paul said, we receive salvation by faith. But James says the emphasis or the result of faith is that I do the word of God. I act on the word of God. So it's just like this. I want to show you some scripture that will prove this out even more. Look with me in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I get saved by grace. Thank you, Father God. So here's my thought on all that. If I'm saved by grace through faith... Wouldn't God then grace me too to help me obey? He would. I believe that's a great prayer to say, Father God, grace me to obey your word. Philippians chapter 2. Now this is talking about the Lord Jesus. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man. This is talking about Jesus. See, when Jesus came to the earth, most of the time you'll see that he's referenced as the son of man. You know why it says that? Because he came fully as a man. He, he, he felt pain like a man. He bled as a man. He was tempted as a man, just like a man. And so a lot of times we say, well, he did what he did here on earth because he was the son of God. No, he was the son of man when he was here, just like a man. So this is what he was talking about. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself. He, he humbled himself. He didn't claim special privilege. He humbled himself. And when we humble ourselves, it opens us up to incredible grace, just like I said a minute ago. So why did Jesus have to humble himself to open himself up to grace? Look what it says. And he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so when Jesus put on the robe of humility and he said, I don't need special privilege because I'm the son of God, God graced him. God poured grace on him. And it says he graced him to the point of death, even the death of the cross. When you see the death of the cross, it's the most horrific death that anyone can ever die. A crucifixion. Nothing compares to it. Verse 9. Therefore, God also highly exalted him. Wow. God highly exalted him. You know why God highly exalted him? Many translations will say this. Because of his obedience, God highly exalted him. Now it shows me that anytime I choose to obey God, God takes notice. 
God knows. And he goes on to say, therefore God highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name because of Jesus' obedience. The, the exaltation of Christ is the consequences of humbling himself. His name's the name above every name. Now listen to this, verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he's talking about how we get born again. We, we, we confess that Jesus is Lord. But I want you to note something here. If I believe Jesus is Lord of my life, then I come into a blessing that it said his name is the name above every name. In heaven, earth, and hell. So that tells me that as a born-again believer, everything I do is in the name of Jesus. Now, some of you think MasterCard is good everywhere. Well, it's not good in heaven, earth, and hell. I mean, when I look at this, this, this is global. This is everywhere. And so when it says his name is the name above every name in heaven, the angels know that. His name is the name above every name in earth. Yeah, people will bow, knee will bow. And every name above that, even in hell. And so it tells me right there, even the demons, they understand the significance of his name. But how did he achieve or be exalted with that name? Because of his obedience, his works. So I'm reading that passage today, and it takes me to, to uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Go with me to Hebrews 5, and we're going to jump in here just a little bit more on Jesus' obedience in his own life. Hebrews chapter 5, just, just, two, just two verses. Verse 8. Though Jesus was a son, yet he learned obedience. Wait just a minute. Though Jesus was a son, he learned obedience. How did he learn obedience? By the things which he suffered. By the things that he had to walk through. So even though he was the son of God, he learned obedience, trusting obedience because of what he suffered. Verse number nine. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. How do I get saved? I get saved by faith through grace. But it's something right here. He throws another twist in here. And he's the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Do you know Jesus himself said, if you love me, obey me. And so one of the highlights of my life has been, i got to obey him. i got to do what he tells me to do. And many times, that's easier said than done. How many of you found that out? It's not always easy to obey Jesus in the world we live in. That's when we come back and say, Father God, grace me. Grace me. I, I want to obey you. I want to believe you. Last passage of scripture tonight. Go with me to the book of Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. So you know what you see there? Faith isn't really faith unless you obey. Romans chapter 4. And we go back to this guy named Abraham that we were with last week. 
And we begin in verse 19. And it says, And not being weak in faith. Abraham and Sarah weren't weak in faith. And you know what that tells me right there? To be weak in faith is a possibility. But they weren't weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So we begin to look at this and I think, wow. This guy wasn't weak in the faith and he's 100 years old? Now, you know what this is pertaining to? The Lord told him and Sarah, you're going to have a baby. I don't know about you. I'm 59 and a half. And if you told me I'm getting ready to have a baby, I would freak out. Some of you would probably have to raise me from the dead. So one, he's 100 years old, but it says he wasn't weak in the faith considering his own body. And Sarah was 90. She's two days older than dirt. And they don't consider their body. And so, you know, here he's 100 and and you, you think, well, you know, Abe, you think there could be some infertility issues? What? But he's not weak in the faith. He remained strong in the faith, even against what nature would say. Do anybody in here know anybody over 60 that's had a baby naturally? I don't know anybody over 60. You do? Dear Lord. That's, that's incredible. Verse 20. Why did his faith not grow weak? Now listen to what he says. He did not waver. He did not stumble. He did not tiptoe at the promises of God through unbelief. So you know what that tells me? When this guy heard God's word and God said, dude, you're going to have a baby. Now from the time God told him until that was 10 years. If we're real honest, how many of you start freaking out after about a week? A day. Some of us say, man, I start freaking out about 13 seconds when that microwave doesn't ding. 10 years. But it said he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief. So you know what? He he stayed with it. It stuck to him. The word of God was so in him. It was like, this is what my father said and this is what he'll do. And he goes on to say, but was strengthened in his faith. And how was he strengthened in faith? He gave glory to God. And so it's a nugget for me right there. Because he gave glory to God, it, it increased his faith, his strength. You know what he was saying? I believe what he was giving glory to God was saying, man, my God promised it, my God will do it. My God said it, he'll do it. I believe this is what's going to take place. God said we're going to have a baby and that's what's going to happen. And he began to glorify it. Thank you, Father God. You made a promise and you're going to keep I know my heavenly father is not a, 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 a covenant breaker. He doesn't change his mind. He 
You know where I think we miss it at times, and I say we? We read the scriptures, but we really don't have a 100% expectation that God will do what he said he'll do. I've been there. I know what that's like. Verse 21. And being fully convinced. And being fully convinced. It didn't say partially. It didn't say 50%. It says fully convinced. Do you know the message translation says he plunged into the promise? It's like he dove in and said, this is it. Here it is. And that what he had promised, he knew his God was able also to perform it. And so when I look at this, the, the obedience and just staying with the word and believing God and trusting God. And when God tells me to do something, I, I do it. And the quicker I do it, the better off I get. I hold on to God's word. And one of the great ways I tell you, have bulldog faith. You know what a bulldog does? He bites down. He doesn't let go. When we find promises in the word of God. And so we were in here praying last night, Tuesday night prayer. And man, it was just one thing after another. With We knew people needed prayer and this and this and this and this and this. And it was like the Lord challenged me and said, Do you expect me to heal? Do, do, do you expect me to do miracles? Do, do you expect me to bless? Do you expect me to set free? Or have we got to a place in our lives that we just kind of cast it out there and have the thought, well, whatever will be, will be. And I said, Lord, I don't want to do that. I, I believe you're still the God who heals. I believe you're the God who sets free. I believe you're the God of miracles. You haven't changed. So the problem's not him. It's me. And so I said, Lord, stretch my faith. Stretch us to believe you're the God of miracles. You know, he said in Mark 16, 20, his desire is to confirm his word with signs following. I know that scripture, but am I fully convinced that God will do that? And so I'm, I'm in a place right now in my life where I'm saying, Lord, man, I'm telling you, we're going to lay hands on the sick and you said they would recover. We're going to believe you're the God who said you, you came to set the captives free. And so I, I want to stretch this. I want to get to that life like Abraham did where he said, my faith's not weak. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe God. I probably ought to quit, but I'm going to tell you this one. This story here. There's a guy. Uh, you're welcome to watch his videos. His name is David Hogan. He's, I, I don't know how many people that he's raised from the dead. Just incredible. Just believes God. Just believes God. And there were some ladies that came to one of his meeting, and uh, they, they came down to be prayed for. And he said, what do you want me to pray for you? And they said, oh, we really don't want you to pray for anything for us. We just came to check out what you're doing. And he said, you don't want us to do anything, huh? And the lady said, no. And he walked for a little bit, and then he turned around, and he looked at the one and said, you got problems with your eyes. You're blind, aren't you? And she said, yeah, for the most part. And he said, you know what? I got enough faith for all of us. Let me lay hands on you. And he laid hands on that woman and she healed. She got healed. And when I read that, I thought, do, do I have that type of faith? 
I got enough faith for He didn't say that in an arrogant way. He just knew who his God was. I could tell you story after story about this guy. He raised a guy from on an airplane that dies. The guy's dead in the airplane. His wife was freaking out and crying. And David Hogan's wife looked and said, my husband knows what to do. And he looked at her like, shut up, woman, we're on the airplane. And she goes, he can raise him from the dead. And David Hogan looked at her, got up out of his seat, pulled the seatbelt off, commanded life to come back in the person on the airplane. He lives. He comes alive right there. You know what happens on the airplane? Everybody gets on their knees and gets born again. All the stewardesses and everybody. This guy's still alive. I said, Lord, grace me with that. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.